Lord God, we give you thanks for your presence in this place and for how you draw us always toward yourself. Help us to experience newness of life in this moment and in this season of our lives. We give this time to you and ask that you would be glorified in the reading of your scripture and in the sharing of thoughts that follow. We love you, Lord, and we give you thanks for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Our sermon text is found in the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 4b through 14. Now, if you're looking for for B in your Bible, you won't find a letter B there. The B's are sort of artificial. Actually, the chapter numbers and verse numbers are artificial, too. We just kind of impose those to help us find our way through this book. Uh, but when you see a letter B there, it means, or when, when you see a reference to letter B, you're going to look for about halfway through the verse. Usually it kind of makes sense where we're talking about, and in the NIV version anyway, uh, there's a paragraph break in the middle of verse 4. And so 4B will start at the beginning of that paragraph, the, the second paragraph there in, uh, in verse 4, through verse 14. If anyone else thinks that he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, Faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Everything else is just commentary. That is one of my favorite passages of scripture, and I'm glad that it has come around in the lectionary, the series of of scripture references that I refer to in preparing sermons. Uh, Many churches around the world are reading these very words this day along with us, and I'm grateful for this opportunity to dive into this passage with you. 
Today marks the final sermon in a series of messages that uh, we've walked through in the past few weeks on the topic of generosity. And just as a refresher, so that you can have these in your mind, and if you happen to have been in Florida for the past few months, maybe you, this will be the first time that you will have seen these, so this is kind of convenient. Uh, David, we have a slide up on the screen to summarize five different categories or ways of being generous. Um, it's not just about money that we're talking, hardly really at all. It's more about many of the other things, many of the other ways in which we can be generous. We can give emotional and relational support to people. And we can receive emotional and relational support from people who are being generous toward us. We can extend hospitality, invite people into our spaces, into our homes, into our churches, into our lives. Uh, and we can receive that from people. We can give gifts, tangible things, maybe crafts or other kinds of things that you make that you give to people. Um, you can serve or volunteer, give of your time, your energy, your efforts to a cause or to a person or to a family or whatever. And, of course, you can give money, but that is at the bottom of the list because we don't want to forget about it, but we don't want to put it first either. Being generous is about so much more than how we handle our money. But being generous is about more than something else that we often think about, too. When we're encouraged to be generous or to do nice religious things, a lot of the time, in the backs of our minds, maybe we don't consciously admit it, but sometimes we do these things so that we will feel better about ourselves, or so that God will feel better about us, or so that others will notice and will say, hey, nice job, thank you for doing what you've done. Uh, we love the positive reinforcement, the positive encouragement that we get from doing nice things. And don't get me wrong, that's important. We need to be encouraged. Each of us has a bank of emotional energy, and when that is depleted, you really don't have much more to give. But every time somebody encourages you, that bank of energy gets a little bit more full. So never underestimate the power of a compliment or a thank you or a card or a phone call just to say thank you, just to say well done for something that someone has has done some way that they've been generous. But the challenge is, when we depend on that kind of feedback to give value to the ways in which we're being generous, then perhaps we're doing it for the wrong reasons. When our identities are being formed by the praise and admiration we receive from others, then, then perhaps we're building our identities in an unhealthy sort of way. The opposite effect is often true, too. If you don't receive attention or love or encouragement or admiration from other people and you feel like you're just being neglected all the time, then it's very easy for you to think negatively about yourself, even to hate yourself. And that's not a healthy place to be either. How we handle our interactions with other people and how we handle our own emotional well-being is such an important part of who we are. And it's really very natural for us to have to deal with these kinds of issues because we are, by nature, emotional and relational beings. But we are also, by nature, spiritual beings. And this conversation can carry over into the spiritual life as well. We 
do good religious things, and we hope that maybe somebody will notice that we've done nice religious things. Maybe we don't admit it, we don't talk about it, but uh, we want to be thought well of. We want to have positive self-esteem. We want our egos to be solid anyway, if not too big. Well, maybe that's not you, but maybe we do good religious things so that God will notice. So that God will love us. So that God will reward us with a golden mansion or a set of wings. I don't know. Whatever you think of. We don't always think of generosity and spirituality this way. In fact, rarely we overtly talk about it, that we're sort of paying in advance to God, so maybe he will think nicely of us. We don't talk about that because we don't, we shouldn't believe it and we don't really believe it, but maybe in the backs of our minds we do just a little. But you can see this kind of thinking coming through in so many messages that we hear about a, an angry and judgmental God. When the picture of God is one of uh, a God who is ready to smite you and send you to hell if you're not good enough, then your natural self-image is to say, well, I must not be very good at all, and I've got to do X, Y, and Z. I've got to do all of these things to appease God and make God happy with me. When in reality, the love of God is unsearchable and never-ending. You know the saying that it takes... Uh, what's the number, like 10 positive statements to undo the harm of one negative statement? Uh, whatever the number is, 10, 50, 3, whatever it might be. But if you think, if you believe that God hates you, how many times do you have to hear that God loves you to start to undo that? God loves you. God loves you. And there is nothing that you can do to earn more love from God. That's the whole point of the cross. That's why Jesus came to die, to show us how much God loves us. And there's nothing we can do to make it bigger, to make it better. You know, I think in some ways, how we view God can be a cover for how we view ourselves. As hard as, as, hard as it is for someone to believe that God loves them, it can be even harder for that person to love themselves. And so here might be the deepest motivation that we have to be generous and to do good religious things. It's so that we actually feel better about ourselves at a very deep, very personal level. Popular Christian spirituality is wrapped up in our egos and in the safety and security and well-being of our own lives. That's why we say you should be a Christian, so that you can be blessed and happy and safe both now and for eternity. So that you can learn to be confident in yourself. So when we think about this internal uh, rationale for, for being a Christian... We can move in that direction to say, well, it really is about your own self-esteem and your own self-confidence. But according to scripture, according to what Paul wrote here in Philippians 3, confidence in the flesh is meaningless. 
He starts by describing all of the reasons he has to be confident in himself. He's a Jewish man and has been trained as a Pharisee and was very zealous to, to keep the, the Jewish religion pure from those crazy Christians who started worshiping Jesus. Um, he persecuted the church. He was faultless in his, uh, in his keeping of the, of the Jewish law. But he says that all of that is meaningless in comparison to knowing Christ, our Savior. All of the things that we manufacture and assemble for our benefit, all of the attention that we desire from others, all of the internal self-esteem work that we really focus on and, and need to focus on sometimes, but all of that stuff is rubbish compared to knowing Christ. It's not just rubbish on its own, but in comparison to knowing Jesus, to having this living connection with the, the, the one who has created us and loves us, that is, that is far and away more important than anything else. So much so that Paul uses one of my favorite words in all of the New Testament. It's, it's translated nicely as rubbish. Here. It's only appear, it only appears here in all of the scriptures. It doesn't appear anywhere else in the Bible, but it appears lots of other places in other Greek literature of the time, and it is a dirty word. The Bible has a dirty word in it. The word in Greek, it won't offend your ears because you won't hear it as a dirty word. The word in Greek is skubala. And I learned this week, I didn't know this before, but the, the etymology of, you know, I love how words are formed. The etymology of that word, um, it has to do with stuff that you throw away. Throw is, is the bala part of skubala, to throw something. It's the stuff that you throw out. And it's the stuff that you throw out that only dogs are going to want to go through. That's, that's kuon. Kuon is the word for a dog. And that's the ku of skubala. It's the stuff that only dogs will go through. It's human waste. I don't want to, it makes you blush if you say it right. And I certainly don't want to say it from the pulpit, but you're thinking that word and it's that word. Okay. Yeah. That is how valuable all of the stuff that we can build up for ourselves is in comparison to knowing Christ. It's worthless. Not even, well, some dogs do. Not even dogs will play with it. Some dogs do. Ugh, I don't understand that. <laughs> but we live in a part of the world where human waste is dealt with in a very sanitary and discreet sort of way. So we are a little bit disconnected from the impact of this idea. Unless maybe you've changed a diaper recently, or you've had to use a plunger Okay, it's, this is, it's not, I know, yeah, we're thinking, oh, goodness, with the flu and the stuff that's run through, oh, that's not fun. It's not fun at all, no. Lord have mercy. All of the good religious things that we do so that God will think well of us are as valuable as that. It doesn't do anything to make us in God's good graces. God loves us. And the purpose for our life is to live in that love. Not to try to manufacture that love. Or to make God love us. Or to pay God off for our sins. But to live in the love of God. Everything is a loss. Compared to the surpassing greatness. Of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. 
the real purpose of life for a follower of Jesus. I think this might be one of the reasons that I like this passage so much. Because it tells us the meaning of life. The real purpose of life for a follower of Jesus, the real source of our identity, is to know Christ. To gain Christ, as Paul says here. To be found in Christ. Those are all different ways of saying the same thing. To be so united with Jesus that our lives imitate his. But therein lies the rub. Because Jesus' life was not free from suffering and hardship. Far from it. We think of that especially at this time of year, but every time we look at a cross, we think of what kind of life Jesus lived and how he ended that life. The Christian life is not about surviving. It's not about being safe. It's not about being liked by others. It's not even really about feeling good about ourselves. The Christian life is about following Jesus and becoming more and more like him. It's about imitating him. It's about taking on his character, living as Jesus would live if he were in your shoes. It's about being a little version of Christ, seeking the only truly important reward, which is to know Christ, to gain Christ, to be found in Christ. A lot of the time in churches we talk about Asking Jesus into your heart. What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought, uh, worked, created. We don't use the word wrought anymore. It starts with a W. It's weird. What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. There are a lot of songs, a lot of statements that talk about inviting Jesus into your heart. But in some ways, that really has it backwards. In some ways, this Christian thing is about opening our hearts and living out into the love of Christ that is already there. (laughs) Not about, hey, I am this place that Jesus has to inhabit, but I have to empty myself and find where Jesus is in the world around me. I have to love him and serve him. I get to fellowship with him. I get to share in his sufferings. Paul says, I want to become like him in his death. makes you swallow hard. You want to become like Jesus in his death? We we glaze over that just as easily as we glaze over a good Friday. We want to get to Easter Sunday where everything is happy and cheerful. Nope. The way of Jesus is the way through the cross. It doesn't sound like fun. And it's not. But to be like Jesus in his death, and only then somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. That's the way of Jesus. The path of Jesus is the path of descent and then ascent. And Paul illustrates this for us perfectly a chapter earlier in Philippians 2. You're going to hear that read in our worship service next Sunday. It's part of the lectionary text for next week where Jesus does not hold on to his equality with God, but lets go of everything and humbles himself, takes on the form of a servant and arrives in the world in the form of a human infant. And if that weren't enough, which it wasn't, then Jesus served others and continued to humble himself and obeyed God's call for him to die, even to die on a cross 
form of public humiliation and torture that was reserved for criminals and rebels. That is the path of Jesus' descent. Whatever Jesus, whatever Jesus counted as prophet before that, he let it all go, considered it all loss, and then and only then could be renewed, could be raised to life, could ascend, could be elevated above all others. Paul spends a lot of time talking about his own credentials in this passage, but surely Jesus has more. The very Son of God, co-creator with the Father and the Spirit of the whole universe, Jesus has the best pedigree of anyone, but he considered it, considered it all rubbish, scubala, so that he might humble himself completely before God and before all humanity. That's what Jesus did, and that's what Paul was trying to do, and that is the path of anyone who would follow Jesus. It is only after becoming completely humble, even dying for the sake of others, that Jesus is exalted to the highest place. The resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday cannot happen, both literally and spiritually, until after his death on Good Friday. The ascent of Jesus cannot happen until he has completely descended. The same is true for us who follow Jesus. The path of a Christian is the path of descent followed by ascent. Yes, there is an ascent coming. There is a reward coming because of the promise of resurrection. But we are not yet finished with our descent. We have not yet given ourselves away completely. We have more to give. Hebrews 12.4 says that in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. Shedding your blood, to make it really pointed. We have not yet fully joined in the fellowship of sharing in Jesus' sufferings. We have not yet become completely like him in his death. In two weeks' time, we will have at least a couple of baptisms. I've referred to Mary Pudel, our neighbor, who is going to be baptized here on, uh, on Easter Sunday. And in this past week, I heard from David Hassan, who wants to take the step of being baptized too. I'm making it public, David. We need to talk about it, but it's going to happen. And it's going to be good, but I'm going to tell you, David, this is not for the faint of heart. Baptism is not just a good religious thing to make God happy with you or to have people be proud of you, although that will happen. That's not why we do it. It is a commitment to a way of life that runs counter to the way of the world. It is the beginning of a lifelong journey, baptism is. It is a picture of death and resurrection. Identifying with Jesus in his death, going under the water, it's a symbol of being buried, and then coming up again is a symbol of being raised to newness of life. That is the descent and the ascent pictured in just a couple of seconds in a pool of water. And that is to become the template for the rest of your life. It's about identifying with Jesus and promising to move along this downward, self-giving path with Jesus. Now, those of us who have been baptized, there's a word of reminder here in this passage that we have not arrived. Paul says, I have not already obtained all of this stuff. 
I may have been baptized once, but that's not the end of the journey. We have not yet taken hold of the prize. Like Paul, we press on. We strain toward what is ahead. We continue giving ourselves away because we have not yet given everything. I said at the outset that this was a sermon about generosity. And here's what I mean. In whatever ways that we are gifted to be generous with people, like the ways that you see listed on the screen there, we can and should be more generous. We have more yet to give. We can give more emotional and relational support. We can show more hospitality. We can give more gifts. We can serve and volunteer more. We can even give more money. And there are times when we need to be on the other end of that generosity. We need to be the ones who receive emotional and relational support and all of the others from other people. That's fine and that's fair. That's how it works. That's how God has designed us. But we always, always have more to give. But when we give, when we show generosity, let us not do it with the idea that we are somehow earning stars in our crowns. Or that somehow we are being good people who should be celebrated for their generosity. Let us, let us be generous with the same motivation that Jesus had. Who was perfectly and completely generous with all people that he met. His motivation was to help others to live. Even if it meant he had to sacrifice himself. Maybe that can be our motivation too. To help others live, even if it costs us our very selves. So consider the ways in which you naturally show generosity. Maybe you find yourself in one of these five categories. Maybe there's another category that I haven't talked about yet. A way that you are naturally generous, or a way that you would like to show generosity. How can you show generosity to someone this week, in a very particular, very tangible, meaningful way, so you can say, yes, I, I'm being generous to this way, to this person in this way, in a way that imitates Jesus. In a way that helps you know that you are knowing Christ, gaining Christ, being found in him. Sometimes, when we are generous toward others, we find that the other person is really representing Christ for us. And they can end up teaching us a lot more about life and purpose, and love than we ever thought we could by being generous. Jesus said something about when you give to the least of these, you're giving to me. So be, don't be surprised if you find yourself in the presence of Christ as you serve someone this week. Let's pray together. God, we give you thanks that you are so immensely generous toward us, that you loved us even before we knew you existed that you continue to love us even when we turn from you, even when we stray, even when we wander. And we give you thanks that you love us all the way into your kingdom and that you call us to imitate this Jesus who gave himself so completely for our sakes. We pray that you would strengthen those who will be baptized here in two weeks' time. We pray for Mary and for David that, uh, that they would be confirmed in their spirits that this is the time to make this decision and to take this step of public proclamation 
And that if there are others in this, in this congregation or in this community who are ready for that step, that, that, that they would have the courage to, to take that step forward and say, that's me too. I want to go all in, as David said to me. Lord, for the rest of us, those who are on the fence about you, those who are committed to you, those who have known you for a long time, We pray that you would open our eyes to see you more clearly and that we would grow to become more like you. Help us to follow the example of Christ and of Paul and of all of the others through the ages who have given everything for the sake of your kingdom. We love you, Lord, and we give you thanks for your many mercies in Jesus' name.